one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is in economics, especially behavioral economics, people respond to incentives. And oftentimes in life, I think there's multiple incentives to many different paths. Right. The incentives you choose show what you value. Right. You know what I mean? And one of the things I think with regards to politics is we look at um, Toledo, for example, and I don't want your opinions, not that I'm not interested, but uh, I don't want your opinions on what we're about to say because, I mean, as an economist, I'm sure you want to make sure everything that we're saying is accurate. And, sure. But I want your perspective on this to see what you think with regards to yep. these, this information. Does that make sense? Okay. One of these uh, things we noticed is WalletHub ranks the quality of local government services. There's really no ranking out there for just the quality of local governments. But the closest thing there is is WalletHub's ranking of the quality of local government services from the 150 largest cities in America. Okay, of which Toledo is one of them. Yes. They're in the top 100, I think. In that yes. Ranking, right? And we're, we're falling, but yeah, we're still in the top 100. Uh, we're 70-something, I think, right now. But anyways, um, one thing we noticed was... Out of the bottom 10, Toledo's the sixth worst. Last year we were seventh, this year we were sixth. But we looked at um, things that like the top 10 best cities in America had in common and things that the bottom 10 had in common. And one of the things we noticed is the 10 cities with the worst local governments in America, this includes Toledo, Detroit, Flint, and Baltimore, which are notorious for having poorly performing local governments. But they all have strong mayors. They also have extremely low voter turnouts by about 30% or less of registered voters in all these areas vote. They have bad economies, and we think local government policy has plays an impact on that. And overall, I think it's safe to say that like, by having a system in place, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with the strong mayor system is, but a strong mayor kind of serves as a king. Okay. And so what the council does is they just approve budgets, but the mayor does everything else. And there's different forms of city okay. government. There is um, city manager form where like the city council actually votes and they appoint a city manager who's somebody qualified to do this job. And they do the day-to-day -day aspects of running the city. And then the mayor and city council work together to uh, form policies based on political natures of things. Okay. And we noticed 50%, and this is that's one of the forms is this, uh, city manager form, but 50% of the top 10 cities have that form of government. Amongst uh, the bottom 10, though, nine of the 10 have a strong mayor. And I find that is kind of interesting as well because... So they don't consult as many yes, experts in particular areas. Our mayors okay. implement policies that are very political in nature that seem to be a conflict of interest. For example... After elections, a lot of times they give huge pay increases to certain members of their staff, which it's city money, and yeah, they work for the city, but they're doing political things, and they're often hired by the mayor themselves okay. because they worked in their campaign. And, for example, last time, Paul Hicks Hudson, she gave like 15 to 19% pay increases, which are huge pay increases hmm. to people that were members of her staff, to certain individuals. We find that as a conflict of interest. We also find with a strong mayor during election years, Toledo's notorious for having poor roads. Yeah. So what happens is whoever the mayor is at the time that's running for re-election, that election year, they embark on a large-scale roads project. Oh, so they, every two or four years or whatever it is, they... Yeah, and, but we like still have limited funds. Something. So yeah. what they do is they twist it. For example, last year in 2017, Paul Hicks Hudson refinanced our debt 
making us pay a higher interest rate so she could temporarily use this short-term money to go embark yeah. on this roads project. That seems to be a conflict of interest. Also, Cardi Finkbinder and other mayors in the past, during election years, what they would do is there's different ways to rebuild roads. There is, um, you can rebuild a road normally, and that takes more time, it's more expensive, but the roads last much longer. Right. And then there's another way called mill and fill, where you just fill in the potholes. So what people like Cardi, and what his administration would do, would be he would embark, instead of fixing roads, on mill and fill projects, which are much less cost effective, but are like a Band-Aid on the problem with roads. And he would just do it during election years, and he'd have these unbelievably large-scale mill and fill projects. And I find that as a conflict of interest. Do you think, I guess my question to you, though, is do you think it's reasonable to assume that there would be incentives if you have a strong mayorship to do what's in your political interest as opposed to doing what's in the best interest of the city overall? Is that a re reasonable assumption or not? Yes. I mean, you can, you can look at this from either a, a completely greedy, power-hungry kind of perspective or potentially from the perspective of, I think I'm unbalanced doing good to this city, and mm -hmm. so me being in power after the next election is going to be good for the city, so I'm going to do some things to guarantee that. Mm -hmm. But either way, you know, the, the mayor will face these kinds of incentives, especially if they're making, if they're able to affect the timing of these decisions and so mm -hmm. on. They, I mean, a couple of things have got to be true. I mean, firstly, the, the mayor has to, be, has to be able to affect these decisions. And so I'm guessing in this situation of a strong mayor, that's kind of by assumption how it works. Yeah. Um, and then these decisions have got to affect voter turnout mm -hmm. and the right voters. Yes. And so that's a very good is, point. Is, it, is it either uh, I encourage people to, who would otherwise not vote to vote for me or other people who are not during election cycles complaining about my work, not complaining as much, and therefore they don't go out and vote. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good it, point too. I never thought about that, but yeah. It seems like Toledo voters really turn out when they're angry. Right. And so <laughs> if maybe the goal is for a couple of months before November, I make sure that my constituents aren't as angry. Yes. Um, and and I'm, I'm responding to you. Know, these are the economic incentives of the story you've told me. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and that's as, exactly as who, what I want you to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, it makes sense that that's how someone could potentially respond to these incentives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that one thing I notice, like globally at least, if you look at the most developed countries in the world, they seem to have a lot of things in common. They have separate institutions. They have separations of power. They have freedom of speech within some reasonable degree. If you look at the most, is that correct, you think? Or? Sure, I mean, the, the US has a lot more freedom of speech than other countries. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not a legal scholar, but I, I think I remember reading that Australia doesn't technically have freedom of speech. Yeah, it depends how it's defined. We kind of operate as if we do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in certain countries, like, freedom of speech in America is mo meant to protect, actually, the most egregious forms of speech. It's not like people saying, I love the country, aren't going, are never going to be charged with a crime in any country that doesn't right. have freedom of speech. But, like, in America, it's the most abhorrent forms of free speech that is also protected. You know, like right. saying... The Holocaust did it happen. That's abhorrent, but it's protected under law because the way I guess America views it is that if society kind of works to like sort itself out, and by censoring speech, yeah. it doesn't allow society to sort the truth out itself by its own nature. We, we were just talking about interests, though. Um, there's institutions like freedom of speech, freedom of press, by yeah. 
Having a free press and democracy, the press is able to hold public officials accountable, and right. public officials then have to, at least in theory, obey within reasonable degree of the wants of the people. Yeah, as a whole. so the public officials don't exclusively control the information going between themselves and their constituents. Yes, and I think it's almost like this segmented way of power really helps it, economies develop and societies to flourish because when you have diversified power structures, there's less opportunity to be corrupt because people, you have to be accountable to somebody. Do you right. think that would be correct or is that off the track? Like, I think a lot of the world's successful economies have that power structure have that yeah. power structure or lack thereof of, mm -hmm. of power concentration. I don't think that is within my realm of expertise to okay. say that they have that, have had success because of that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm yeah. agreeing with the observation that there's this correlation. I yeah, mean, it doesn't mean causality. I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean you, you say I'm a behavioral economist, but the, the other part of my um, research is econometrics, and so it's, it's sort What's of... What's econometrics? Um, statistics for economists. Okay. And so it's... it's in, in, in that part of my work, it's it's sort of my job to be suspicious of correlations. Yes, because um, that doesn't mean they're causality. No, I mean we can we can say a lot about uh, causal effects if we've got the right data and we know how to analyze it. Mm -hmm. But we need both of those to be able and you to need do a it. direct correlation. Right? Well, you need or how do you, you need to establish that? You, you need to establish that the effect you're me measuring is uh, the say if we're trying to analyze how a policy is affecting some outcome, mm -hmm. um, you want to establish that the policy just didn't ha happen to occur at a time when that outcome change would have changed anyway, yeah. um, or whether there's something that caused both the policy and the outcome to happen, but mm -hmm. the policy didn't really affect the outcome, okay. and so on. And so if you've got the, the right data mm -hmm. um, and know how to analyze it in some, but not all cases, you can make that causal statement. Okay. It's good to be suspicious of correlations, but mm -hmm. it's also one, one thing that work in econometrics has, has taught us is that we, we, can, we can estimate causal effects. We just need to be very cautious about how we do it. And mm -hmm. the more we understand about our data, the, the better we can, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one example that I actually... Um, uh, use for both my uh, principles of microeconomics class, so mm -hmm. that, you know, the first, uh, well, at least one of the first economics classes you take at university and my econometric students who are mm -hmm. in uh, the master's program at Toledo. Um, mm -hmm. so if, if you think about the, the relationship between uh, the number of police officers in a city and the crime rate. Ooh, okay, so you, that's, a, that's an interesting we, one. It seems reasonable to expect that if you hire another police officer, crime rate should go down. Yeah. Right, I mean, we assume... You would we, think, we, yeah. We, 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 Outside of some very bad kind of corruption story, police officers typically reduce crime rates. It's yeah. kind of what they're there to do. It's like <laughs> yeah. part of their job. Yeah. But if you were just to get some raw data of number of police officers per, say, 100,000 people in mm -hmm. a city and crime, some measure of crime per 100,000 people in a city, you get an upward sloping line in a lot <laughs> really? of cases. So you look at that and if you think about that as a, as a correlation and you see the graph, you say, well, if, if I move to the right, that's hiring more police officers. And do I go up or down on the graph? I go up in terms of crime rates. Uh -huh. So if you interpret that relationship as causal, mm -hmm. um, as I hire more police officers, crime rates go up, mm -hmm. 
Therefore, if I really want to reduce cri crime rates, what I should do is fire police officers. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I just I just want to wow. go completely yeah. for anarchy. Just get rid of the police <laughs> right? that's that's the solution yeah. if you just interpret the graph. But what you find is that cities actually understand that this this relationship, right? Hiring mm -hmm. police officers typically reduces crime rates. Mm -hmm. So what's and the cause for the increase then? Is it more crimes with, being reported too? Like or um, not necessarily. Okay. The thing we need to worry about is that because cities understand this relationship when they experience a surge in crime, they hire more police officers. Mm -hmm. So you get the high crime that's cities a, with more police yeah. officers because they're trying to get the they're trying to get the crime that's, rates down. Yeah, yeah. What what uh, you need to do is to be able to tease out this effect of how do we how do we take out this effect of cities responding to crime rates when really what we want to estimate is potential criminals responding to more police officers. Mm -hmm. We want to get on to uh, our next question. What do you yeah. think the role of local government is in stimulating economic growth in the area? Mm. Can it really play a large role? Because we believe it can based on what we've learned, but I wanted to see what your take was as an economist. My, my take on the role of government in general mm -hmm. is that the government, from an economic perspective, is in a unique position to provi provide goods that individuals don't do a very good job of providing for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in, in economics, we refer to these things as public goods. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have two, uh, two characteristics that sort of separate them from the normal kind of things that we think about as goods that we consume. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's compare these to a hamburger, okay. right? So it's, it's a good that I can consume, but public goods are non-rival. And so what do you the, the idea of this is that my consumption of a non-rival good doesn't prevent like you from... Like a road, you mean? From, yeah, yeah. From, okay. A road's a, a road's a great example of a public good as long as it's not congested. Uh-huh. Okay. Would, so would a hospital be kind of considered that or not? Depends on its capacity. What do you mean? If the hospital is operating at capacity, then it's essentially like a congested, congested road for uh -huh. healthcare. Okay. Right, but okay. if it's under capacity, then um, it may have some public good qualities. Oh, yeah. okay. So the, there are these these two aspects of a public good. And so if they're non-rival, my consumption of a good doesn't prevent you from consuming the same good. Whereas if I uh -huh. eat a hamburger, you're not getting it. <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah. Right? You, you can eat a different hamburger, but that's not the hamburger that I just ate. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Okay? And they're also non-excludable, which the hospital might depart in this kind of category. Once someone consumes the good, we can't stop others from con consuming the good. What do you mean? Okay, so if hamburgers were non-excludable, once someone consumes a hamburger, everyone gets free hamburgers. Think about this as fireworks. Yeah. Right? Once I let, a, let, let off a firework, everyone gets to see it. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't stop someone from seeing the fireworks that I let off. Uh-huh. Okay, and so who provides fireworks, generally? I mean, the U.S. I mean, is a bit different because you're allowed to We have public fireworks. But you have public fireworks. Yeah because individually we're not going to provide enough fireworks for the enjoyment of yeah. like July 4th. Uh -huh. We'd rather the government buy a huge stash of fireworks <laughs> and in one area so yeah. we can all enjoy a big fireworks show rather than relying on our neighbors. This is a great analogy. Few, yeah, uh, it's not mine. I mean, it's oh, in really? almost, the fireworks is in almost all just, the textbooks. Just play it to yours. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. It's, it's I'm a teasing. good example, so I reuse it. I mean, <laughs> um, it, on, on a more serious note, I mean, we could probably live quite happily without fireworks mm -hmm. and um, light other stuff to enjoy things. But mm -hmm. libraries, mm -hmm. um, I noticed there are a lot of uh, people in here using the computers. 
That's um, true. Things like that. So, yeah. I mean, from a perspective of people who are less able to afford computers mm-hmm. and things and internet access, yeah. they can search for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it benefits indirect, the society as a whole that's by having... I mean, that, that's a great have point, a yeah. a lot of public school systems here in universities. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, a local perspective, um, well, in general, information is a public good, right? Mm-hmm. Once I release information, everyone can enjoy it, and you getting the information doesn't... Uh, doesn't stop me from benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a local government perspective, um, as well as a national government, uh, providing information to citizens, mm-hmm. um, and in particular for local governments, you might think about the Toledo, uh, Toledo government being in a better position to p- provide information to potential businesses that could start up in the area mm-hmm. than a private entity. Yes. Yeah, because right, the private entity would want to be paid for it. Yeah, and they'd want to sell it to individual people and stop other people from mm-hmm. getting it, so they could appropriate. Where you draw profits. the line then, like between public? App- I mean, no, you kind of did yeah. draw the line, I guess. Uh, so, like, should, should the government of... be providing hamburgers? Yeah, no. I mean, well, exactly, obviously. right? Because they, yeah, they don't yeah. have these. They, but they, like, some of it's kind yeah. of grey, though, isn't it? Well, yes, yeah. Um, the the issue is is that public goods typically don't get provided by private um, private agents to the extent that would benefit society. Mm-hmm. If the government didn't exist, we'd probably have a few roads, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't be as extensive. They That's might a all great be, point. They'd probably be toll roads because someone would want to oh, appropriate the, the profits. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, there yeah. Would, and that would hurt commerce overall because if you don't right. have enough roads, it yeah. inhibits development yeah. of or, everybody. Or you'd, I mean, in, in the area, you'd have, say, the um, automakers in Detroit building their own roads so they could fund their, so they could get their supply chains to work properly. Mm-hmm. But then that's the optimal road network to build cars in the area. It's not necessarily the optimal road network for the whole of it. That's so interesting, when, yeah. When there's a, a large organisation that can have a big benefit from doing something, it probably will if no one else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of situations where the government is in a position to provide these goods. The government is in a position to provide the goods, that uh, these goods in a way that individuals wouldn't themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for example, this library, if we all had a vote, if it didn't exist and we all had a vote, uh, say on a ballot initiative, do do you approve a small increase in your taxes so we can build this place and stock it with books and computers mm-hmm. and internet access and things like that? You know that may get voted for, but if we passed out a collection plate and said, "Hey, I'm collecting to build the library," which is how it would get yeah. funded in a Otherwise, private market, yeah, I'd be thinking, "Why am I doing this? Either it's not going to get built because yeah. we don't collect enough money, or it is going to get built, and my little amount of money isn't going to affect anything. I will free ride." That's a great, and therefore point. everyone a, else yeah. will. So if, the, the government uh, can solve these free writing problems. Maybe in, in terms of this uh, information example I used before, mm-hmm. this information just wouldn't get collected in, in a purely private system mm-hmm. because anyone who collected it wouldn't be able to earn enough profit to, well, earn enough money by selling it mm-hmm. to benefit from it. So they wouldn't collect it in the first place, whereas the government could unashamedly collect it and supply the information at a loss with the understanding that it benefits society enough that that loss is justified. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't expect to get a profit out of the military or the police force. Yes. Right. And so the government provides these unashamedly at a loss. (laughs) They do benefit society, just not monetarily. Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, you know, they that's, enforce that's, property rights that's and a very, like that. Which no, this is a very activity. profound take. I really yeah. like what you're saying. I'm feeling a little curious to know, sure. uh, just in the beginning you said that uh, maximizing capacity utilization actually it reduces the public good, right? Uh, so in that case, like, uh, the healthcare costs are really high, and because of that, uh, most of the healthcare providers, they are just trying to increase the economies of scale by using the, you know, same uh, number of resources to serve higher number of patients. But then uh, one, of the, one of the parts of that is, like, you know, maximizing the uh, capacity utilization as well. So uh, do you think, like, these things, like, public good and uh, economies of scale or the reduction of healthcare costs are in conflict with each other? U.S. healthcare system is is complicated for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's um, my experience is mainly uh, has mainly got to do with the insurance side of things rather than uh, rather than hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, sort of on the the boundary between hospitals and insurers. I wrote um, one chapter of my dissertation on negotiated rates. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, in in terms of that side of things. One thing I've noticed about a business that's kind of taken off a little bit in Toledo recently is Prometica. Mm -hmm. um, and they seem to be one of the biggest providers in the area, not just in terms of places where you can, uh, where you can get treated, but also just sort of sheer volume of customers. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits of that is that they essentially have a monopoly or close to monopoly yeah. on healthcare in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and so... We see, yeah. actually, they'll buy out places. And it's reported It's reported in The Blade and other sources. Yeah. Prices will go up three to 400% for the same service before it was brought out. And then when Prometica buys it out, they charge three to 400%. Right. So there are, there are, there are kind of two sides to, to mergers um, that move in the direction of monopoly. Mm -hmm. One of them is that if you owned 50% of the market and then you bought another company that owned 25% of the market, mm -hmm. um, you now have 75% of the market, you're going to charge higher prices because mm -hmm. you're closer to being a monopolist. Yeah. Um, and so from a cost of healthcare perspective, that's bad, mm -hmm. right? The, the hospital would be providing uh, essentially the same services at a higher price. The mm -hmm. only reason from society's standpoint we might be happy with a higher price is if the quality's improved. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's a trade-off to be made there. Yeah, and, and but uh, this is this is an increase in price. What, what's the positive with side power. then with regards to this? Then? Um, if there truly are economies of scale, then it might be more. But do you efficient. think healthcare is? I mean, there might be certain instances, but overall, I don't even know necessarily if they're a good economy of scale. They're a service industry, right? Uh, service, like let's say, I owned a bunch of McDonald's. Yeah, right. there might be a little bit if of scale. If there were scale, good enough economies not, of scale, the prices would have gone down. Yeah. So yeah, I and, mean if. If, if, a, if a merger is and the being Federal disputed, Trade Commission yeah. said that they are a monopoly. Uh, they made them not, they made them, they bought St. Luke's and they had to get rid of it because they said, okay, that's way too much. Right. And you can't do that. And so, I mean, legally speaking, they were considered a monopoly yeah. at least at one point. And it's yeah. hard in well, the United in, States to be considered one. Yeah. In, in these antitrust cases, usually the, the, if you can if you can make a very compelling argument for our costs will be lower when we merge, which in some mm -hmm. industries makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. then that's the kind of merger that could be allowed. But you'll still have the incentive to raise prices. Mm -hmm. um, from the insurance perspective, though, it's not clear that we want a lot of insurance companies. 
Why is that? Because um, they drive down the costs in many ways because hospitals have to negotiate with them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so if we had a lot of insurers in the area, mm -hmm. each individual insurer wouldn't be able to direct that much demand to different hospitals. And so then they'd have right. to so, um, make a profit, with, so they'd have to... Well, with my, with my health insurance, I have... Um, I think I have a tiered plan, and uh -huh. so... Um, there's a tier one network, tier two network, and so on. Mm -hmm. And I know because of that that I have to pay more to go to particular hospitals than others. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if I haven't got any other reason, I go to the cheaper one. Mm -hmm. Which hospitals are the cheaper ones are determined by... The negotiated rates. By the negotiated rates or negotiation between the hospitals and the insurers. And by buying so, out a bunch of hospitals, wouldn't that give... Company or healthcare systems like ProMedica, a huge advantage when negotiations start in terms yes. of leverage. Yes. So from from the hospital side, um, if there aren't any other places to go, mm -hmm. um, the insurer can't really negotiate a good price because mm -hmm. you know if I get sick in Toledo, chances are I'm going to a ProMedica institution, mm -hmm. no matter where I am. It's going to be yeah. hard to direct me away with slightly high prices if I'm going to have to drive a you know half an hour to get there. Yeah, or an hour. To yeah, get to depending on what kind of emergency or yeah. issue I have. From the insurer's perspective, though, if they, um, if they have a lot of customers, they can threaten the hospitals with um, So would it be better for insurance company mergers as opposed to hospital mergers? For the same reason that hospital mergers uh, could drive up prices, insurance, insurance company mergers uh, could drive down prices really? if they have significantly increased bargaining power. Yeah, but why is it then? I almost wonder sometimes, like, you're not allowed to sell insurance. Every insurance company has to do insurance in a different state. Like, everything's regulated based on states. Right. And I, I don't understand necessarily the reason for that law unless it's something that was maybe negotiated privately for the benefit of the insurance company. I mean, I don't know. What would be a reason for making it against the law to... I, I am unsure about that. Yeah, method. okay. I mean, yeah, in, I know, in terms of <laughs> negotiated rates would be the lowest mm -hmm. if we had one insurer. Yeah. Uh, but then there'd be a monopoly in the insurance market, and so the insurer may charge very low rates, or may, may pay very low prices to hospitals, mm -hmm. um, but then they'd be able to charge high prices to customers because there's no other insurer to go to. Okay. And so you could argue that the insurance market is a natural monopoly. Yeah. Um, so high fixed costs, low marginal cost of okay. um, supplying the good. Um, you know, a, a, a business that could lower its costs plausibly by becoming larger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a conflict of interest? Like ProMedica has their own insurance company. And it's a more expensive insurance than other uh, insurance companies, but they have it just, it's called Paramount. It's for ProMedica right. patients, or Promet people in ProMedica. Mm -hmm. And... Don't you think there's a bit of a conflict when the healthcare system owns the insurance company too and makes the rates based on the healthcare system? This is, or? This is starting to get complicated. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm we sure. won't. Yes, like, we won't. I mean, in, in, in principle, ProMedica can offer its employees much lower prices basically by... Oh, it's not for employees, it's for oh, the public. Okay, uh, okay. 
Yeah. So I was just wondering, like, you know, this uh, the whole purpose of this mergers and acquisitions of uh, was to increase economies of scale. And we, as we understand the economies of scale, the fixed cost, like, you know, in service economy, like in hospitals, we have the uh, expensive medical equipments or yeah. the number of beds or the doctors. Mm -hmm. If they stay underutilized, but you have to pay the fixed cost, right? Yes. So uh, the whole purpose was to reduce the unit cost of production mm -hmm. and um, but then I should drive down the cost why the cost is increasing then well for example the beds though that's not uh, something that an economy of scale would help with I guess maybe purchasing in bulk possibly if you could have like, a bigger building that might yeah. help but if okay. the, all, all bulk purchases but they're they're one-off purchases in themselves I, mm -hmm. I think that I mean it, it's it's hard to believe that per unit cost would go up after a merger, mm -hmm. yeah, um, you, you'd it's, need it's some also, weird. You'd yeah. need a weird cost structure for yeah. per unit cost That's to go up. So per, per yeah. unit cost has probably gone down, gone down. Yeah. Uh, but then a whole lot of you know, the the then Promedica has a lot more monopoly power, so they're able to affect prices. Mm -hmm. So if they were in a perfectly competitive market and there were enough, you know, there are enough competitors to compete with, compete with yeah. them, then if they lowered their cost. Uh, they might still benefit from that because they could still charge the same prices or a little bit lower mm -hmm. and earn mm -hmm. a higher profit. Mm -hmm. But without competitors, okay. dominating effect is that they raise prices. Yeah. Right, I have a question yeah. now. Like, usually when, like, large businesses start, it's because they expand. Yeah, they might take out some debt to expand, but usually they have a proof of concept that does so well mm -hmm. that they grow in a somewhat organic fashion based on the strength of their system or business or how they do things. But in ProMedica's case, for example, ProMedica was just like a small hospital, but it took out hundreds of millions of dollars from the county to, in essence, form a monopoly. What they literally did was buy out their competition, and when they bought it out, they raised prices. The county, though, it's in their interest because ProMedica is technically a nonprofit. In fact, we found seven of the 10 most profitable health healthcare systems in the United States are nonprofits, meaning they don't pay taxes. Right. Um, what they do in exchange, though, is they have to justify their status, so they go embark on these large-scale projects for communities and stuff like that. And these large-scale projects, though, they claim they're worth X amount of dollars, but it seems a little pricey. I think it's almost an exaggerated cost. Mm. <laughs> my, my question would be if the... Um, do you if, think that's ethical? If they're of such benefit to the Toledo community, why isn't the government providing it rather than the hospital? Yeah, and why is the county... Yeah allowing for loans to be taken out on anti-competitive practices. Like, let's say I had a, or let's say I had a restaurant. I think that's a question for them, but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like, let's say I have a restaurant and I asked the county for $182 million loan, which is ProMedica's first loan, they've taken out billions. But um, if I ask the county for $182 million loan so I can buy all the restaurants around the area, sure. and then anybody that wants to go out to eat in Toledo is going to pay a much higher price. Right. Is that really even capitalist, or is that really how markets are intended to work or not? It seems kind of like cronyism, or it seems like it shouldn't be legal. So there, there are two things here. One of them is, it, is it legal? Um, it is and, legal, and actually. It, it, it happened, and I'm guessing it hasn't been challenged, so yes, it's, it's it appears legal. to at least have stood up to a legal test of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, and the other question is, does it make economic sense from whose perspective? Mm -hmm. uh, and so in a, in a lot of industries with market power, you find that it's part of the trouble with these industries is that they face a greater incentive to protect their market power than they do to offer a better product. Yes. Um, or to innovate and find a better way of producing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm the 
if I own the only restaurant in Toledo or every restaurant is my chain mm -hmm. in Toledo, um, it's probably more useful for me to make sure that no one else opens a re restaurant in Toledo. I mm -hmm. can spend a little bit of lobbying dollars and keep the government happy so they don't issue that many permits. Mm -hmm. um, I could deliberately run some restaurants at a loss so that um, so that people wouldn't want to set up next to them. Oh my gosh, and that's right? what so happens. So I've started selling, things, yeah. you know, one dollar hamburgers. So McDonald's doesn't want to open next to me, and you know they can't compete with that, <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm happy to make a loss in a few areas to prevent yeah. some competitors to come yeah. in. Yeah, um, that's called predatory pricing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if I was facing competition by some incumbent firms, uh, the things I'd be trying to do is working out how to run my business better and mm -hmm. lower my costs, offer a high quality product, you know, the, the kind of things that we, we like to think free markets encourage people to do. Um, often they don't work when there's a lot of market power, either on the buyer or the seller side. Really? Okay. Yeah. I know. I, I'm glad you're, you're doing exactly what mm -hmm. we wanted. We're not sharing, like, Obviously, this is the first time you're hearing this yep. information, so you're not sharing your personal opinions, but you're, under, you're teaching our listeners what the theory is and how it works right. in terms of the field okay. of economics, which is awesome. It's very similar to how Dr. Egan was with us, which was great. Um, one of the things we noticed is cities with manufacturing-based economies have uh, lower median incomes. We've noticed, uh, if you look at, for example, the top five and bottom five cities in America economically, Mm -hmm. the top five won't have manufacturing as one of their top industries. And it's more service-based or technology-based uh, industries that are areas that have top um, economies that they specialize in. Right. Anyways, though, we noticed that the worst economies in America all have manufacturing as one or two for their top industries. Do you think the manufacturing industry itself is not a good industry for a city to have as the primary industry in this day and age in America or not? Well, I think the trouble is it used to be. Yes. You know, cities have benefited greatly from... Manufacturing. From manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, Detroit and Toledo benefited greatly, mm -hmm. not in the last 10 years, but yeah. historically from the auto industry and Toledo mm -hmm. from the glass industry. And I, I think at the moment things are becoming more automated yeah and so production requires a different kind of skill mm -hmm. uh, and you know these products are still being made it's not like the US is making fewer cars at the moment or mm -hmm. anything it's just they're being made very differently um, with either much higher skill a smaller number of much higher skilled people mm -hmm. who are kind of monitoring the robots mm -hmm. or just differently skilled people mm -hmm. and so you know there used to be a lot of you know good jobs in manufacturing that didn't necessarily require um, a, you know didn't necessarily require a degree in computer science or something mm -hmm. and and now, now there you've is got to yeah. be able to program to tell the robots what to do and things like that that's, that's an interesting point yeah, and one so, thing I mean oh, just the the technology has changed and and I think you know what what you find in uh, country uh, sorry in, in areas that have more of a service or technology based economy is that you're they're employing people with with you know higher skills because that's what those areas need. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's not necessarily that. I mean, it's just sort of where the where the industries ended up. 
So, Dr. Bland, thank you so much for your time with us. Uh, best of luck with everything. Well, let's see. Thanks very much. <laughs> no problem.